Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless. Hello, and welcome back to 50 Stars Plus. Once again, I'm Alex covering the US. And I'm Nicola covering Switzerland. So today we have a little bit of a special episode. In the end of the episode, we're going to show you a debate we recorded when Alex was in Switzerland a couple of weeks ago. Uh, as you know, Alex is a very uh, liberal guy, progressive leftist. Some people would even say, maybe Alex doesn't agree fully on that, um, but he's definitely a, a democratic supporter. And um, he debated uh, Flavio, a friend of us during the trip. Flavio is a diehard Trump supporter, a conservative. And um, we're debating coronavirus, we're debating Switzerland, and we're debating Donald Trump and Joe Biden. So this is coming up a little bit later in this episode. But first, we're going to talk about the California recall election, or Alex, should I say, uh, the freak show. What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm excited to show the debate with Flavio. If you look at the promos on Instagram, you'll see him with his uh, that pink Donald Trump hat that he's got going on uh, and my uh, Joe Biden mask, my dark blue Biden mask. Uh, but OK, California recall. Yeah, I, I would say it's a freak show election, too. Um, it's a bunch of rather unqualified candidates, in my honest assessment, trying to run for governor. Uh, and... It's problematic because we already know we're going to have minority voter turnout and the number of people who need to vote yes to recall Newsom will not constitute a state majority. And so what we're seeing is the Republican Party knowing that they cannot win a fair election in California. They're trying to cheat their candidates into office. And they're trying to basically subvert democracy. And they've put forth some really terrible candidates. They've put forth Larry Elder. He's a talk show host. They've put, to get, they've put out John Cox. He's a businessman from Santa Fe. Uh, we've talked before about how Caitlyn Jenner is also running. She's there. Uh, Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, who badly, badly mishandled the hepatitis among the homelessness uh, crisis uh, in San Diego. Uh, and there are a couple others. Uh, I know there's like this finance YouTuber trying to run as a, as a Democrat. Uh, that guy's a joke, in my opinion. Uh, oh, and the Republicans are also running this other guy, um, Kevin Keeley, Kevin Kiley. Uh, he's an assembly member from Rockland. I don't know too much else about him, to be honest, but he's probably the most qualified of the Republicans uh, from what I can see just based on his experience. But even so, uh, Gavin Newsom should stay in office. Well, I think we maybe have to explain quickly the recall election in California for people who are not that into the topic right now. Um, Gavin Newsom, the current governor of California, he was elected in 2018 with a very great result and he should stay in office until at least 2022 when there is the next election and um, the next election for governor of California. But there is this possibility, right, Alex, um, that you can recall the governor of California. That's also possible in other states. And you need uh, some amount of signatures to have this recall election going. And uh, conservatives were able to get the signatures together. Uh, it's not very unusual. This happened a lot of times in the past. 
Um, and um, now we have this recall election coming up in California. Yeah, and it's very problematic because in order to get the recall on the ballot, you only need 12% of voters from the last election for office. 12%, that's really, really easy to get. So a recall is really easy to put on the ballot. And what that means is we have less than a tenth of California voters because you know 12% of people who voted in the last election, the last election we had a turnout rate of just over 50%. So we're talking like maybe six, 7% of Californians are trying to assert their policy over the majority population of the state. And that's a really big problem. And a lot of people don't know that it's not enough to just vote no on the recall. You also need to vote yes for Gavin Newsom if you want him to stay. And so that's a technicality that Republicans are also counting on. They're counting on people voting no on the recall, but maybe not necessarily voting yes on Gavin Newsom either. And because they don't know, because they won't know to do that. And so it's really, it's really uh, insidious and very dishonest what the Republican Party of California is doing right now. And it's not the first time they've done it. It's actually how Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor. Uh, they did this to Gray Davis, uh, a previous Democratic governor. The Democrats have done it in the past too, though, right? So it's not just a Republican thing to do. We have never done it like this. No, we have never no. actually pulled this on the Republicans. Otherwise, that, but, we would have done it to Ronald Reagan. But not in California, but there, in many other states, there were recall election also initiated by Democrats in the past. In other states, the criteria are more strict uh, than in California. We unfortunately have very outdated laws as far as this goes. Maybe quickly, I mean, Gavin Newsom, uh, great result in 2018. And uh, in the beginning of the cor coronavirus pandemic, he um, he got very good marks of the press and from experts of how he handled the pandemic and very quickly, very swiftly, he shut down places and um, he got it under control. California, I remember when I was there for a long period of time, they were actually quite fine compared to other parts of the country. Um, then it swifted. California got more problems. And um, I remember there was one huge scandal that uh, Gavin Newsom really um, got some pressure afterwards. Um, he was... Uh, he he. He, he made this rule that you're not able to go to restaurants without the mask. Actually, he shut down the restaurants, I think. And then there were um, pictures of Gavin Newsom um, shot by the press um, showing him at a birthday celebration of a friend in a winery um, sitting on a crowded table without the mask. And obviously, uh, people didn't like to see their governor saying something in the public and then doing the other stuff uh, behind their back. Yeah, I remember that story. Uh, I do think it's worthy of mention that while it's true he should not have been there, uh, that story got blown out of proportion for the sake of sensationalism. The number of people who were actually at the celebration was within the established parameters. Uh, and Gavin Newsom himself was following his own protocols. And so the picture made it look a lot worse than what actually happened. And this generated a lot of backlash among people on the left, for sure, against Gavin Newsom. You know, uh, progressives uh, already don't like him. But that's actually not why he's getting recalled in the first place. 
the reason he's getting recalled, the reason Republicans are saying they want him recalled is they don't like the mask mandates. They don't like that he did the shutdown in the first place. And they don't like that he's taking his time reopening schools, even though we're seeing now that one in four coronavirus cases is a child. And we're seeing thousands and thousands of teacher deaths from schools that reopened too quickly. And so they're really, not only are they subverting democracy, but they're doing it in such a way that it endangers millions of other Americans and Californians especially. It's very, very dishonest what they're doing. The recall election is on Tuesday, so just the day after this episode episode uh, drops. Um, we're recording this on a, on the weekend, um, so only days away from this election. Alex, maybe um, to end this topic, are you scared that uh, Gavin Newsom could actually be recalled and um, there, there could be a conservative Republican governor? Or are you confident that Gavin Newsom is going to win? The polling makes it seem as if he's going to pull through, but I am worried, yeah. Um, again, this is how Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor was a recall election. Uh, the issue is that already in a normal election, a minority of voters vote. Uh, like I said, we barely got over 50% of eligible voters to turn out in 2018. And so I'm worried, you know, this is a special election. A lot of people don't even know that a recall election is happening. I've talked to people who had no idea. Uh, and so a lot of people don't even know to vote. So already we're going to get less than 50% and we're going to get predominantly people who can afford to show up on Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be elderly people, you know, people who represent uh, the AARP, for example. We're going to be getting predominantly conservative voters, retired voters, mostly from what it uh, looks like. And that's pretty tough because it means working class voters, BIPOC voters who predominantly predominantly vote Democrat, uh, will not be able to show up because they'll be, you know, at work. Uh, so I am worried. I'm very, very worried. Game time. And um, Alex is leading in this game. We are playing every episode four to two. What did you expect? <laughs> I will bounce <laughs> back. I still have some time left in the in the first season. And uh, whoever is the loser by the end of the first season, um, we already um, uh, made up the punishment for the other guy. Um, Alex would have to buy a grasshopper jersey and walk down. Actually, Alex, I, ga I gave you a grasshopper jersey already. I see that's unfair now. You don't have to buy it anymore. And it's not a punishment anyway. Yeah, so um, if you want to change the penalty, we can. Uh, that's very true that now I have the Grasshoppers jersey and uh, I it looks good. I can wear it with a normal outfit. Uh, as, as you've seen, I can wear it with like those black sweatpants, look really sleek, really, really sporty. So maybe you want to change the punishment. I don't know. No. Yours can it stay the same. You have to wear a 49ers jersey in Switzerland. That's perfect. That's good. But yeah, I'm going to change the punishment because otherwise it doesn't make sense anymore. And grasshopper jersey is not a punishment as we know. So um, let's say you're going to buy a, a Washington football team jersey, my favorite NFL team. 
And um, you're going to buy one from Dwayne Haskins. That's the quarterback from last season. He got caught in a strip club during the pandemic, and then he got <laughs> cut from the team like uh, an embarrassment. So, Do you um, think they maybe, still sell it? Uh, I will find one for you, 100%. I actually bought <laughs> – I didn't buy the official jersey from him. I bought it before he got caught. Uh, I thought he was a great quarterback, just a, a, a training jersey of him. So I'm sure you will find something uh, maybe on eBay. We will find something. I will make sure. All right. Uh, we'll see. I'll hold you to that. All right. Uh, I shoot the question, Alex. Um, we have quickly talked about this during our trip um, when we talked about the NFL. Uh, I make it uh, quick. How many Swiss players... The NFL season just started. How many Swiss players are playing in the NFL? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. Um, <clears throat> so does it have to be that they have Swiss ancestry or is it that they're actually Swiss citizens? No, yeah. To, clar to clarify, they have to be Swiss citizens and they were um, growing up in Switzerland. So not, not, not Swiss and uh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, one wrong there is no swiss player ever who played in the nfl and the reason why <sighs> i ask you this question is because we quickly talked about that the swiss players are in the nba in the nhl and the big sports leagues but they haven't made it to the nfl <sighs> all right damn i thought i i totally thought i had that <laughs> one day we will make it okay um this one i think you should know it's still challenging but I'm hoping you know it because um, this is one of my favorite topics. And we talked about this a lot when driving in my car. Uh, well, maybe you didn't catch this because you feared for your life. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Nicola, um, I've introduced you to a lot of music. One of the artists I listen to the most is the artist who has won the highest number of awards in the U.S., which artist is this that has won the highest number of American music awards? Um, I mean, you listen a lot to Eminem, to Childish Gambino. I don't think Childish Gambino won that many awards. Um, you know, because you listen a lot to Eminem, and we listened a lot to Eminem in the car, I'm going to say, although you're smiling already, I can see it on our video call, I'm going to say Eminem. I have to go with it. Nicola, you are you're you're correct. It's Eminem. Ah, yeah, done. nicely Thanks. done. Uh, it's now four to three. I'm still in the lead, but Nicola has <laughs> made up some ground a little bit. Finally, I bounce back. All right. <laughs> so we're going to be back in a second with the debate, and uh, without further ado, we're going to start the debate. It's going to be Alex versus Flavio, and in the end, you can. Uh, Leave us uh, maybe a comment on Instagram or tell us who you think won the debate. I have a clear winner in my mind, but I'm not going to tell it. All right. Have fun listening to the debate, to the debate and see you next time.
And we're back. And now I have um, to my left, Flavio Somanji, and to my right, Alex Wyckoff. Um, we met during our trip in Switzerland. We had a great week together, uh, explored Switzerland, and uh, had very interesting discussions along the way. We not always agreed with each other, so we thought it's going to be an interesting thing to do a debate now by the end of this trip. So this um, debate was recorded by the end of August. Flavio Sumanji, he's a 28-year-old from Boston who graduated from Syracuse University with a, with a biology and neuroscience degree in 2014 and from Harvard University in bioengineering and nanotechnology in 2020. He's a conservative Trump supporter. Hello, Flavio. Hello. Nice to be here. And to my right, we have Alex Wyckoff. You know him. He's a 25-year-old policy and legislative coordinator from San Diego who graduated from the University of Oregon with a bachelor's in political science and psychology in 2017. And in this year of 2021, graduated from UC San Diego with a master's in public policy focused on social inequality and peace and security. He's a progressive and voted for Joe Biden. Hello, Alex. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us, Flavio. I appreciate it. All right. Just to explain you real quick the rules of this debate. Um, each of them, we're going to have three topics. Uh, I'm not going to tell you right now what these are. Each of them have one minute to respond to one of my questions. And then I will stop the clock. So I will make sure that they're not going longer. Um, and afterwards, they have also 30 seconds to react to each other. All right. I think we just uh, jump in. Are you guys ready? I am. I'm also ready. Right, let's go. First topic, of course, it is coronavirus, uh, something that has, uh, you know, created a lot of chaos all over the world um, and also in the United States. So first, I want to know from Flavio, how did the United States handle this crisis in your opinion? So, of course, you can imagine that with a global situation, which, of course, came from China, Uh, with the CCP not being quite open, there was very little we could know as to how dangerous it was. But we also have to take into account what we know now, especially given that Dr. Fauci and his colleagues presumably had information a lot earlier than they are revealing to us. So we need to take this into consideration. That being said, definitely the fastest assembly of companies, both private and public, to bring about a vaccine, which is now publicly available to everyone, pretty much in the US and worldwide. Thank you, Flavio. The same question goes to you, Alex. How did the United States handle the corona crisis so far? It's important to characterize that we've had two administrations now who have tackled the coronavirus. I would say that the previous administration tackled it very poorly. For example, they ignored the AstraZeneca vaccine when it first came out in favor of trying to score political points. And they continued to compliment the Chinese government for its transparency well into April, even though they were stonewalling us at every turn, they were refusing to be transparent. The current administration, I would suggest, has done a very good job. They've leveraged the Defense Production Act of 1951 to mobilize U.S. and other companies for the production, distribution, and rapid development of more vaccines. So, of course, one can look at two administrations. Um, in my view, I have to say, I believe the Trump administration is still the legal entity, given what happened or what transpired over the 2020 election, which has not been 
rectified just yet is, is the word I would use. I, I mean, there are definitely cases still in the court. We could talk about the Arizona audit, for example. The final report isn't out yet. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done to actually reveal what this administration, and I'm referring to the Trump administration, has done to bring us here. Um, Flavio, follow-up question. Um, did I hear this correctly? You think um, Trump didn't lose the 2020 election legally. He's still the legal president. That is correct. And I might premise this by also talking about the spiritual realm. But correct, in my view, from a fraudulent perspective, and if this, and I premise this with if, because of course I don't know the future in the fiscal realm, right? I don't know. But if it turns out that Trump did in fact win and the elections were fraudulent, fraudulent, then we know Trump has been the legal president to this point. Alex, what's your reaction to this? It's irrelevant to our discussion. I'm not here to talk about distractions about the election of 2020, which happened nearly a year ago. I'm here to talk about coronavirus policy. And what we know is that, at the very least, the current legal entity, the current Biden administration that is sitting in the Oval Office, has, by and large, done a better job. When Secretary Azar brought a vaccine to Trump, he yelled him out of the room. By comparison, the Biden administration has been considerate of children, of the immunocompromised, and of the differing situations in different state governments. And so this is not a game of distracting ourselves with outlandish fairy tales. This needs to be a discussion of serious policy and how we're going to move forward in the future. Of course. So that, I would say that's perhaps a nice rebuttal, but you need to know you brought in the two parties. You brought in the two administrations. And that's what I was premising by talking about Trump. By the way, the left indeed did not think the vaccine could come before the end of 2020. And Trump delivered on that. We're moving on. Um, Alex, you are vaccinated. Uh, Flavio, you are not. Alex, do you feel Flavio is a selfish person? I think that when it comes to whether or not one gets vaccinated, you have to consider a wide variety of circumstances. I, of course, feel that it is absolutely selfish not to get a vaccine, depending on your situation. Uh, you might consider rural areas that are very sparsely populated. If you get a certain number of people vaccinated there, okay. And of course, there are people with valid considerations. The FDA didn't fully approve Pfizer until today. But now that we're at this point, and the Pfizer vaccine has been approved fully by the FDA, and the Moderna is soon to follow, I would suggest that if one can get vaccinated, one should, and that this is how we protect the immunocompromised, the elderly, and others who otherwise will not be allowed to participate in our society. Flavio, you hear um, what Alex is saying, um, a typical liberal standpoint. Do you think Alex um, wants to take away your personal rights? Absolutely. I mean, he mentioned if one can, one should. And I definitely have my personal thoughts about what's going on. Whether or not he agrees with that, that's just left for me to decide about what happens to my body. Conservatives use this as kind of a red herring, to be honest. The federal government doesn't have the power to force a vaccine mandate on private citizens. What they are able to do is require specific government agencies that need to operate in person in order to reach their full efficacy to have their employees vaccinated. That's perfectly reasonable in a place of work. A place of work 
has all the right to set its standards. I beg to differ. Of course, there are private citizens everywhere you go. Even if you work for the federal government, you are a private citizen. You have a private life as well. And taking that decision away from them is what I find to be selfish. Flavio, moving on, um, I want to know from you um, regarding the corona coronavirus pandemic, which president of uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden did a better job handling this crisis? Yes, um, to be honest with you, I have not been following up with Joe Biden because I, like I said before, I don't see him as the legitimate president. Uh, but looking back at what Trump has done, for sure, I think he lost some of the supporters that would otherwise have voted for him um, because they think he was trying to play down the pandemic. No one knew it would become a pandemic besides maybe me thinking about Fauci and what he was doing with his colleagues, gain-of-function research. You could look at that. I also think it was gain-of-function research. So I look at the whole picture and therefore think that Trump Getting the vaccine was a very big plus. Within 10 months, 11 months, definitely less than a year. That's a great thing. Alex, same question to you. Which president did a better job handling this crisis? By and large, it's Joe Biden. Trump was warned well in advance, over a year before the pandemic, that a pandemic was very possible, that infectious diseases are coming out all the time. And even SARS-CoV-2 and other similar diseases... You know, similar SARS-CoV diseases were being examined at the time, and we knew that. Trump chose to defund 47 U.S. disease response and research teams around the world, that's almost all of them, and additionally refused to submit guidelines to U.S. Northern Command, which has a significant role in fighting pandemics. He refused to give them guidelines, leaving them in a crisis of leadership and chaos and with uncertain mission parameters. He admitted to plenty of interviewers that he downplayed the seriousness of the virus for political reasons. And compared to that, Joe Biden has done an excellent job promoting the vaccine, promoting safe policies, and making the U.S. very, very good on vaccinations. Follow-up question. Hold on, Alex. Um, Donald Trump did something no other president had ever done. Um, he created a vaccine with his help, with um, his support, in less than 11 months. That's an absolute record. Can you give him some credit for that? I can give him some credit, yes. I've credited him before on this podcast. But one thing I will say is that it is on record from Trump's own advisors that he was against Operation Warp Speed. It took Jared Kushner and many others, Secretary Azar, the director of the CDC, Fauci, Burks, they all spoke to him and they had to convince him. It took many days. It took weeks, actually. And in those weeks, maybe we could have gotten a vaccine even faster than that. That said, I'll credit the Trump administration. This was a record time. Additionally, Jared Kushner did an excellent job of mobilizing different companies. So this is not a really difficult picture to imagine. If you look at what the pandemic has become, we could go back five, ten years, and there have been talk of, oh, pandemics are going to happen, but no one really knows it's coming until it's here. And from a psychological standpoint, the placebo effect is very real, which is what Trump could use. 
having the people get a good, strong mindset, whether or not he knew this was going to turn out to be what it is now, or maybe it's better now, no one really knows. So I could see him having a strong posture. That's a great thing. That's what I want to see from my president. Thanks, guys. And thanks for um, keeping the clock in mind. This is uh, very good. So far, we're going on to the next topic. It's a little bit a more chill one, so we can all relax. We're talking about beautiful Switzerland. <laughs> you have all spent uh, seven days a week in, in Switzerland. And I would like to know um, from you, Flavio, first, what is your impression of Switzerland? I love it. I mean, it's relatively small, but I, I don't think we've seen a lot of more of what it has to offer, really. Um, plenty of places to go. I definitely love the fact that it's very clean, much cleaner than, I mean, I live in downtown Boston, it's much cleaner, so I could say that for a fact. And the people are generally, I would say, warmer. I have had not so great experiences in some places, but overall, I would say they're very nice. The US is also like that, but you know, that's my general feel thus far. Same question to you, Alex. Well, Flavio, first, uh, if the interactions you have in Boston are problematic, it's because you're all a bunch of Celtics fans. That being said, uh, I absolutely adore Switzerland. It's a gorgeous, stunning country. The landscapes, the views everywhere you go, the internationality of the cities. I've had a fantastic, wonderful time here. Uh, I was happy to try... Uh, a fondue here in Switzerland, thanks to you, Nicola, thanks to your wonderful parents and your brother. Uh, I wish you had liked the fondue a little more, Nicola, actually. Well, I'm not getting into that uh, more at this point. Um, well, uh, Alex, you learned, and Flavio, you learned a lot about Switzerland the past uh, seven days. Looking at the global politics uh, with the role of developing nations such as uh, Switzerland, Germany, or the United States and others, do you think um, Switzerland has a better approach than the United States when it comes to global crisis? I think it's difficult to say. I would need to know more about the Swiss government's inner workings. I will say I appreciate two things about your government. The first is that you have seven presidents, uh, if we're simplifying it, and that each year we select or you select one uh, to represent you on the world stage. I really like that. I feel it's very democratic, very reasonable. I also like your system of voting, where you're voting on new initiatives every couple of months. Uh, was it three months, I think you said, in these cycles, and that we're able to prioritize specific issues piece by piece. I think that's very efficient. And as opposed to California, for example, which votes very seldomly, I would prefer that system. Same question to you, Flavio. Do you think Switzerland has a better approach than the United States when it comes to global crises? Definitely not. Um, I, I think with the U.S., be it right or wrong, you do know where they stand. And Switzerland, the neutrality, I, I guess it could be a good thing to not take a, a position, but you know, also help in the diplomatic aspects of pulling teams together. So there are quite different things to paint, but I, I would always like to know where someone stands. Last question in this subject, um, Flavio, what could Americans learn from Switzerland? If you can name one, two things you could um, tell your friends back home in America, what could they learn from Switzerland? That a lot, a lot more people here are bilingual than one could expect. And not just English and whatever um, language in the region they speak, 
but in the U.S., most folks think English is just it. That being said, I have to premise there are a lot of Spanish speakers as well, and that would go with the bilingual nature in that regard. But just learning more languages is definitely a big plus. Same question to you, Alex. I like what you do for education. I like that you have very good vocational training. I like that a four-year bachelor's degree in a university is not the be-all, end-all of your education. And I think we need a lot more of that in the United States if we're going to continue to be competitive with the global world. All right, and now we come to the last part of this debate, talking about Donald Trump. And I think we can all agree that Trump drew a lot of media attention. We have a lot of disagreements maybe about Donald Trump, but we can all agree Trump drew a lot of media attentions. Um, Alex, name one thing you liked about the Trump government and one thing you disliked. One thing I thought was great about the Trump government was he was very aggressive and forceful when it came to asking our allies in NATO to pay their fair share. I think that was perfectly reasonable. Barack Obama was doing the same thing with the United Kingdom before Trump, and Trump continued that work. And now Germany is willing to pay more of its fair share, and other countries are soon to follow. I really wish that Trump had been more studious. He never understood the workings of our government. He barely understood how politics worked in general. And had he had a more robust and thorough understanding, I think perhaps some of his policies would have come out much better. Same question for you, Flavio. Flavio, name one thing you liked about the Trump government and one thing you disliked. That's that's a nice question. And I, I would still say, you know, the Trump government is a one-of-a-kind government that has ever existed in America. And looking at those he brought close to him, I like the fact that they were quite diverse as well. Most folks want to think Trump is a racist. I completely disagree with that. Um, if you look at the policies that he had brought into play, um, I, I think he had to do with the intercity hubs of creating businesses, Team Scott, um, and it created lots of businesses. Lots of businesses poured into urban areas, mostly Democrat areas, actually, and benefiting the people. So that's definitely one thing. And, and the second thing would be, you always know what Trump has on his mind. Actually, people like to think that, but then you never know, because he tweets a lot. And then you can see that most folks, especially diplomats, want to think they know what he's going to do, but they really don't. Flavio, and one thing you disliked about Donald Trump? I do think that he could be a little bit more, um, I, I guess, have a lower tone with how he approaches certain things. For instance, um, the issue with North Korea, where he talked about, you know, fire and fury. I, I think you could go a more diplomatic route. But to be honest with you, that is also a strength, um, mainly because you could look at the relationship between um, North Korea and America now. It's There's no talk of nuclear war. With Obama, there was lots of it. And Obama warned Trump that's his biggest threat. No, it's not. Alex, do you have something to respond? I do. Uh, I do think Trump's aggression was valuable in some cases. But he was a very one-size-fits-all kind of president in his diplomatic approach. And he believed personally in doing it all himself. In some ways, that can be a strength. In other ways, not. You need to recognize the strengths of the people on your team. And when you're the president of such a diverse country as the United States, you need to be able to sit down with the Joint Chiefs of Staff 
and with your cabinet. And you need to be able to discuss the issues with them because they're the experts advising you. For example, he criticized Section 10 Annex 3 of the Iran nuclear deal, stating that it would lock us into allying with Israel in a war against Iran. That's not true. What we did say was we're going to help protect nuclear facilities in training exercises only so that we are better equipped to do so ourselves. Flavia, a lot of criticism uh, about against Donald Trump. Um, can you agree with something or what's your point? Well, if you could tell me specific criticism, then I might be able to respond to it. But just off the top of my head, because, of course, by saying I'm a Trump supporter doesn't mean I necessarily agree with everything he's said or done. But one thing I could say, especially we discussed the topic of COVID. Trump was a victim of COVID himself, and he got the vaccine. I, I don't know if that was a political move. That would be my bet, but I see no reason why he would do that. Um, and that, from a scientific standpoint, makes no sense to me. So I disagree with him there. You don't take the vaccine if you've recovered from COVID. Trump claims that he didn't lose the 2020 election legally. Um, some supporters still say that he's the legal US president to this day. Uh, Flavio, you're one of them. Can you explain this to our listeners? Yes, I, but you sh I should premise this by also saying I mentioned the spiritual realm. So most folk think that what you see, what you feel, what you touch is all there is to this universe. Of course, it's not at least from my biblical Christian, Judeo-Christian standpoint, there is a uh, spiritual realm. And following those that I do, and I'm not going to go into the details here, but looking at the spirit realm, I would be surprised if Trump does not get back into office in 2022. That's from the sources I've been looking at. And this is folks who, uh, and these are folks who have time traveled, actually. And I, I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, but this is possible in the physical realm, in, in the spiritual realm. And I have had some experience of that sort, but I won't go any further than that. Alex, you're also a person of faith. And um, listening to this, um, maybe you can agree um, uh, in some parts. Um, and there is the other point, um, Flavio made, that Donald Trump is going to be back in office by 2022. What's your response? He will not be back in office. As for my faith, I allow it to guide many of my moral principles, which I then use to create policy. I don't like to confuse my faith, which is very personal to me, with my policy. What I will say is I prefer to focus on the consequences of legislative decisions. For example, Trump wanted to bomb Iraqi oil fields, claiming they were controlled by ISIS. Those fields were actually predominantly in Syria. He couldn't even tell the difference between these two countries. And for me, it's extremely important to have someone who knows the details. If you bomb the wrong country and you destroy their livelihoods, not only are you going to further destroy the region, but you're going to leave a lasting scar on the world and frankly on your administration. So I definitely, I, I guess I have to agree here at some point that details are warranted for foreign policy, of course. We need to know the detail. You did mention Trump did not initially listen to um, his advisors who were for Operation Warp Speed, but that's a great thing because you could see that he eventually listened. And as president, I don't want to do everything someone called my advisor tells me to do. 
I need to make those decisions. And you don't know what transpired over the time of the debate that he had with them, or not necessarily a debate, but just, you know, sessions to hear their thoughts, that he would change their mind. So that's my viewpoint. You could definitely take a stand, but also keep an open ear and not know everything. As a president, you can never know everything. You have to rely on those who study to tell you. I actually agree that I don't want a president who exclusively listens to their advisors. Of course, the president needs to be able to make executive judgments for themselves. For example, in 2013, when Barack Obama went against the advice of the foreign affairs establishment in the U.S., he went against the advice of the military in the Pentagon and chose not to risk more military intervention in Syria because we were already committed to two wars. And instead, he went and he worked with Russia and with Putin separately with Syria, and they managed to pull all of the chemical weapons out without having to commit more U.S. troops. So we're going to the last question. It's going to be an open question. You know, in America, um, we see two sides, um, liberals, conservatives. Um, for me as an outsider, I've covered America for three years. It really looked like a divided country politically. And I would like to know um, from both of you, um, what is your wish for America? And what do you think America should do that the country can come together again? I, I think... Dialogue is the very starting point of making any headway in anything, really. Um, so having more of that happen is definitely the way to go. Of course, I have to also say uh, Alex has made, I, I would say, statements. They can be proven to be true or false. And I just don't have the time to do that here because, of course, for me, this is off the top of my head. So having dialogue and, and being able to listen, even if you think you can refute the other side, listen to what they have to say. And then, of course, it comes to the point of showing the facts. This is where we have a lot of issues with there being the talk of fake news, and that's a big problem, of course. Having people get legitimate, verifiable news is a great way to move forward as well. So this trust building. So the news is very crucial here that um, the news gets better in, in, in Flavio's point of view, more trustable, better journalism is a, is a crucial point maybe of bringing the country together. Absolutely. And, and I'll just say the individual's discernment. So you could have the truth be told and someone would just choose to not take it. For whatever reason, that's okay as well. They have a right to that view, even if it's wrong. Alex, the same question to you. Um, what does it take that Americans come together? What is your solution? I like what Flavio said, actually, about it starting with a discussion. And when this pandemic has resolved a little bit more, I would be interested in revisiting Pete Buttigieg's proposal to expand AmeriCorps. For those who don't know, it's like a Peace Corps, but for domestic U.S. By expanding it, we send Americans to other states all over the country, training them in skills we need for the modern workforce, And people from very different places will come together, meet one another, and they'll engage, they'll discuss. And I think that by bridging that physical distance, we'll be able to create that discussion. Thank you guys a lot. Thank you, Flavio, for taking the time. Um, you really did this um, on, top of your uh, on top of your head. So um, thank you a lot. And Alex, also thank you um, for participating. And um, to our listeners, thanks for listening. You can follow us uh, on our social media pages, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And this is 50 stars plus, 50 S-T-A-R-S-P-L-U-S. You got it right.
Hell yeah. <laughs>